All right, how's everybody doing? We good? Good. It's good to be together. Uh, we're going to dive into, uh, into God's word. But uh, first, I want to say, um, I was, last week I was preaching uh, from our Tyson's location uh, to uh, all, of, uh, all of our other locations except MoCo uh, because Jake was just like, we don't need to hear from, from, from Mike and I'm going to preach. No, uh, I, was, I was really sad to miss last week. If you weren't uh, here last week, uh, uh, Jake, uh, who is our student director leading the rock uh, and involved in a lot of ways throughout our church, uh, preached not for the first time. He's been preaching in our church um, and has been preaching uh, for most of his uh, adult ministry, but preaching to our broader conversation on Sunday morning for the first time. And uh, that was a huge joy for me and Drew uh, to, uh, to give him that opportunity to serve our church in that way. And I heard he killed it. Is that true? Yeah. I heard he showed a, a very highly uh, edited video, um, and uh, <laughs> um, you just got to watch the sermon if you don't know what, I, what I'm talking about, but I still don't believe it. Um, but uh, man, I, I honestly, one of the greatest joys uh, for, of my life is getting a partner in ministry uh, with some of the folks uh, here at MoCo and on our staff, and particularly the guys that I get to rock with as brothers in Christ and in the ministry, uh, Jake, Drew, Mark, the whole squad. Uh, so many of us that get to serve uh, together. So uh, really, really thankful for, uh, for what God said to us as a church family through, through Jake last week. Um, let me ask you real quick. Some of you have experienced this before. You ever uh, been about to build something, maybe some furniture that you bought from a store, d- depending on the budget, you know, the way my budget set up, Ikea, um, Ikea, whatever, and they send you with the whole package, right, assembly required, which always sends a little bit of anxiety uh, through my heart, and you get home and you get stuff out of the box, and if you're smart, you take everything out and you try to put everything together and make so it's all in place, and you're going through, and again, if you're smart, right, if you've learned by experience, you take the manual, not that you're going to pay attention to the, what the manual says about how to build it, because you're going to figure that out on your own, but you at least want to see, do I have all the materials? So it says I'm supposed to have 10 screws, check. I'm supposed to have X number of wooden planks or whatever, okay, check. And all of us have had that moment where you're so excited, you're so prepared, you know there's this thing that you're getting ready to build, except there's a problem. You realize there's a missing piece. We've all had that experience before. Now, for some of us, that's game over. Pack it up for the day, call the company, we're done. Others of you, I don't know why y'all just be having random nuts and bolts, you know what I'm saying, just in your house and random tools. For some of you, when that happens, that's a dream come true for you. You live for that. You live for it because it's an opportunity for you to figure it out for those of us that are normal people, right? That shuts everything down because even though we want to build something and we know that this is something we need to build and we're ready and prepared in a sense, we don't have everything it takes in order to do it. Here's the thing. So many of us feel like that in some area of our life where you know there's something that God has put on your heart to do something that God has put on your heart to to start or to help build, 
and it's been stirring in your heart for a while and you're ready to go and, 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 and you, you feel like you kind of have the vision for it or you know it's something that God is specifically calling you to do or you know it's a particular person that has this need and, and you have the desire and the ability to serve that need except you feel like I don't have what it takes. I don't have all of the pieces in order to do this thing or to serve in this particular way. And that you, that person that feels that way here watching, in overflow, whatever, because I know I feel that way, I want us to hear what God has to say to us right at that fork in the road where we have to decide whether or not we're going to pack it up, shut it down because I don't have enough, or whether we're going to accept God's invitation to step into something that is bigger than us. And allow him to do something through us that we could never do ourselves. And so I want to share one verse with you. It's a verse that I shared with our leaders, I don't even know when, like a, a couple years ago, I don't know, in one of our leader meetings. And it's a verse that, I, honestly, somebody from our congregation one Sunday walked up to me and shared this verse with me. And it just, I just keep coming back to it over and over and over and over again. When I'm tempted to allow my inadequacy to overshadow what God is calling me uh, to do. And so the verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. I'm going to need your help. This is going to be interactive. Is that all right? And I would prefer, but no pressure, I would prefer that this just be an interactive sermon in general. Is that okay? So feel free to give God your amens and your whatever. And you can encourage me too. You know, preacher brother. Yeah, that's, that's fine too. That's allowed. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. I want us to read this verse out loud together. And I want you to say it with your chest like you believe it. Can we do that? Yeah. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Here, watching online, wherever you are, let's say this out loud together. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. Now you got it. You know the flow of the verse. Now let's say it again with confidence. And even if you got to say it as a prayer, let's say this out loud again together. Here we go. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, let me give you my sermon title up front. Here's the sermon title. You have everything you need. You have everything you need. Let me pray for us before we, before we dive in. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Just come into my mind, Lord, what Paul wrote to Timothy, God, that your word equips us for every good work. Father, would you minister that truth to our hearts as we hear from you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let me give you a little bit of context uh, on, on, on this verse. In case you're not familiar with Paul's letter, his second letter to the Corinthians. So the Apostle Paul, who is uh, a foundational leader in the early church uh, in the first century, and uh, he start, is starting churches uh, really all over the, the known world and establishing leaders in those churches. And he will move on to the next 
place and preach the gospel and people would come to faith and he would help organize them into a church, establish leaders, and he would move on. And what he would do is he would often write letters back to those churches to encourage them or to address particular issues. And so this is the second letter that we have documented in the Bible that Paul wrote to a church in the Greek city of Corinth. And in this section, he's reminding them as, of Christians who are in Jerusalem, who are suffering in the middle of a famine. And you can read about this in, uh, in ancient history. You can read about it in church history. This was a very severe and widespread famine, and it was affecting, obviously, everybody. But what's heavy on Paul's heart is that there are brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are part of the family of God, who are not only having to suffer persecution as followers of Jesus, but now on top of that persecution, they're suffering from a very, very severe famine. And Paul is drawing these Christians who are in the Greek city of Corinth, he's drawing their attention to people in need all the way in Jerusalem. And this is where ministry begins. This is where ministry begins. It begins with God showing you a need. With God showing you an opportunity to use what you have to serve people or solve a problem. And that's what many of you are already doing in your professional and in your family life. I think about people in our congregation. I was just talking to a brother uh, during the greeting who, who are in education. How many of y'all are in education in some way, shape, or form? We got teachers and administrators and, and, uh, and faculty and other people who are in education. And God showed you a need that there are emerging generations or there are people in a particular uh, uh, career field who need to be taught and need to be trained, need to grow in knowledge and grow in wisdom so that they ultimately grow in character, but also in a particular skill set to be able to serve other people. You have seen that need and you stepped up to say, God, use what I have to solve this problem or serve this need. I think about people in our congregation who are in uh, the medical profession. How many of you, just broadly speaking, are in some type of medical field? It might be a medical practice or medical research. Raise your hand. There's so many people in our church that serve in that way, who see all kinds of needs for for research that will help us to be able to solve all kinds of human ailments or uh, to be practitioners and to serve all kinds of different people. And there's, there's so many people. I can go on and on and on. I think about folks in our congregation that work in areas like construction and development, which is huge when you really think about it. Whether it's commercial or residential, we'll go residential for people to be able to have a space to call home, a space to build memories, a space to be able to relax and recover and be renewed. And to do that in a space that is structurally sound and safe, that's huge the work that you do. I think about people in design. One of my brothers, uh, some of you know, he's one of our worship leaders here, Odie. He got a whole full-time job as like a consultant, but his side hustle, everybody got a side hustle in 2023. His side hustle is doing floral arrangements. Now, I've known Odie for a long time. When he first started doing floral arrangements, I was like, dog, what are we doing? What are you doing right now? You know what I'm saying? Like, really? You know, you can just pick some up at Safeway. It's fine, right? But my man has an eye for, for beauty, and he does these floor arrangements, and I've been able to watch him, and he does these workshops for people who want to learn how to do it. But here's the thing. 
It's not just like a side hustle. I've watched the effect on people's faces who are grieving when he shows up and gives them a personally designed floral arrangement. You see, there's a need. God has wired this need and desire in us to respond even to beauty. And it ministers to our hearts and ministers to our souls. I think about people who do interior design and all kinds of things. Like I could go on and on and on in our congregation. Many of you are doing this in your professional lives and many of us are doing it in our family lives. Seeing the needs of our family members, whether it's our immediate family in our home or extended family, maybe it's elderly uh, relatives or parents or whatever. And we say, God, use what I have to solve a problem or to serve this group of people. But here's the thing. God doesn't just show us needs and call us to serve as individuals. He also shows us needs and calls us to serve as a church. And that's what's happening here in 2 Corinthians. Chapters 8 and 9 are one long section where the apostle Paul is encouraging the church in the Greek city of Corinth to gather a donation for a Jerusalem relief fund. He says, I want to help these brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who are suffering through a famine. You in Corinth, you have resources, and I want to encourage you all to put your resources together in order to bless this group of people who are far from you, but they are very near to God. They are on God's heart. God sees this need. God is burdened by this need. And God wants you to participate in helping to serve that need. And so he's drawing their attention to something beyond themselves. He's saying, don't just use all of your resources and time and energy to just build up this Corinthian church to be, we say it all the time, this nice kind of spiritual country club where everybody has a membership, which means you get certain perks and privileges from your pastors and you get to show up and there's coffee for you. There is coffee for you. We serve you in that way and you have your reserved seat and, and, and everything just exists for you all as a church. He says, no. No, yes, bless one another, serve one another. But I've also set you in place so that you collectively can be a blessing to the people around you and people far from you. What Paul is asking them for here is money. I want you guys to bring your financial resources together in a way that will serve other people and bring me glory even outside of your community. Now, before you get nervous, if you're new to our church, I'm not about to ask you for money, okay? In fact, I want to acknowledge the fact that so many of you have been faithful to give even more than money to our church. So many of you in so many ways have given yourselves to our church. You've given your time, you've given your energy, you've given your prayer, you've invested intercessory prayer for people in our church, for the ministry of our church, for for fruitfulness in our church. I think about our worship and our production team. Who y'all, they get here at, what time do y'all get here in the morning, Ash? Between like 6.30 and 7 a.m. Yeah, you can clap for that. (laughs) So many on our production production team, they get here before even our musicians and our singers get here so they can make sure everything sound and all that type, type of stuff is already set up. They're also here during the week on Thursday nights for rehearsals and all of that. They're giving their selves for us. 
as a church family. I think about so many other people in our church. I think about our, our lay pastors and our church group coaches and our lay counselors. Many people don't know this, but in our church, you see me and Drew a lot as pastors in our church. But and you may see Pastor David or Pastor Eric who preach like on a Sunday, but even just here at our Montgomery County location, we have multiple pastors who are not on paid staff, who have full-time jobs elsewhere, but God has gifted and called them and affirmed uh, our, um, them through our church to be pastors in our church. And so together, we help shepherd this community of believers to meet with people and show up to hospitals and, and to pray for people together and help teach throughout the course of our, uh, in, in the life of, of our church. We've got church group coaches who support our church group leaders to make sure when you're a church group leader and you're caring for a group of people in your home and you're processing the sermons or doing Bible study and issues come up, that there are church group coaches, right, who are OG disciple makers. They have, are, are tested and proven to not just have the character, but have the skill set and the gifting to help people grow in Christ. They're right there to support our church group leaders, to help them be more effective. Our lay counselors, a lot of people don't know this, our lay counselors trained by our director of counseling to offer counseling, not therapy, right? They're not all trained, certified therapists, but they're brothers and sisters in our church family who have deep compassion and have been trained to sit with you and to encourage you and to take God's word to help you discern God's wisdom in whatever situation you're going through. I think about Cindy right here in the second row. She wouldn't want me to point her out. But I'm telling y'all, if I'm here, Cindy's here. I'm walking out, Cindy's sitting and meeting with somebody and pouring into their life and just helping them to discern. And that's true of all of our different lay counselors. I mean, I could go on and on and on. So many of you in this church family you give more than your money. You give yourself to people in this church family. So many of you sacrificially give and faithfully give in ways that advance the mission of this church. And if that's you, I want to encourage you from God's word. But for others of you, I want to invite you from God's word to consider how you might get involved in serving people in our church or serving with people in our church to meet physical and spiritual needs in our community. Now, I know that there are some of you who are in a season where you're really struggling. Life is hard and it's just difficult for you right now. And I, I want you to hear me. It's okay sometimes to just take a break and to let people serve you. Some of you come burnt out and broken from other churches. And you need a season to just sit and just be poured into. Some of you are just going through intense suffering in your life right now. And you just don't have the emotional bandwidth to pour out into other people. Your world is spinning and you're just struggling to make sense of it all. It's okay sometimes to take a break and to allow yourself to be served by God and by God's people. And at the same time, please don't think that God can't use you still, even in the midst of a hard season. This is what Paul talks about when he writes earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Listen to verse 1 through 3. He says, we want you to know, brothers. So he's writing to the Corinthian church. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, which is another region. For in a severe test of affliction, 
their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, that's weird, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So they were struggling and yet they said, but God, with the little that I have, the little emotional bandwidth, the little financial resources, the little bit of energy that I have, God, if you would take it and multiply it, then I'm willing to be used by you. So you may need to take a break in this season, but please don't think just because the season is hard, it means that God can't use the broken pieces that you have to offer him. Listen. God has a problem he wants you to solve or some people he wants you to serve. Let me say that again. God has a problem he wants you to solve or some people he wants you to serve. And when God calls you to do something, I want to encourage you to just remember three things. I want you to remember the source, the promise, and the goal. And we see that in this one verse. And I just want to walk through those briefly. I want to pray and I want to direct you to some ways that God might be calling you to serve. So number one. When God calls you to do something, I want you to remember the source, okay? You see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, and it's just those first four words, and God is able. God is able. Amen. Every calling from God, every ministry opportunity begins here. God is able. Can we just say that together? God is able. He's able. Like some of you just need to sit there for a minute and be reminded that God is able. And it's so important to begin with that reminder because if we start with our own ability, our own resources, our own capacity, then we'll inevitably be faced with our own limitations. So often when God gives us an opportunity to serve or to start something new or to help build something that will bless other people, so often we start with, do I have what it takes to do this? God says, I want to do something through you. We start with, but do I have what it takes? It's the wrong starting point. We see an example of this with the disciples. We looked at this while we were studying the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8. There's a crowd of, of 4,000 people, and you remember the story. Jesus points out to the disciples, this crowd of people, they're hungry, and, and there's no food for them to eat. And you remember how the disciples responded. So Mark 8, uh, verse 4, and the disciples answered Jesus, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now, you remember when we studied this, this is actually the second time Jesus and the disciples are in this situation. Mark chapter 6, basically the same situation. A huge crowd, that time with 5,000, which was probably more like 20,000 because they were just counting the men at that time. Massive crowd, no food except a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And here, here's the thing with the disciples, right? They saw God, they saw Jesus do this miracle once before and yet they still respond with how are we going to do this and here's the problem the problem wasn't that they felt inadequate the problem was that they allowed their inadequacy to become the whole story they allowed their inadequacy to be the whole story god was no longer a factor in the story 
They couldn't see beyond their limitations. But listen, how many of you know that God isn't limited by our limitations? He's not limited by your limitations. Your inadequacy is not a problem for God. It's actually a prerequisite to be used by God. Why? Because it drives you to depend on him. And so back to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, this is why the Apostle Paul reminds them that God is able. God is the source of what he's calling you to do. And God never calls you to do something that he is unable to accomplish. He never calls you to sacrifice and bring that elderly relative into your home if he's unable to give you what you need to do it. He never calls you to start that nonprofit that's going to bless people in need and get them resources that they may not be able to get any other way unless he's able to actually accomplish that through you. He never calls you to serve in access and pour your life into children and young adults who have disabilities unless he is actually able to accomplish it through you. God is able, when God calls you to do something, number one, remember the source. Here's number two, when God calls you to do something, remember the promise. Remember the promise, because some of us are like, yeah, okay, I can say amen to that, God is able. I don't doubt that God is able, but is he able and willing to do it through me? Well, here's the promise. Same verse, verse eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you hear the emphasis there? All grace, all sufficiency in all things at all times in every good work. It's the same root word in the Greek language. Paul is stacking these words on each other to intensify the reality and the scope of what God is able and willing to do. He says God is able to make all grace abound to you. Grace there, that phrase, all grace, it doesn't just mean this. It means that God will not just provide the resources for what he's called you to do, but he'll also provide the motivation. The motivation, that's what we saw in 2 Corinthians 8. That what was happening in the churches of Macedonia, they heard about the famine in Jerusalem. And it says, Paul says, I want you to know about the grace of God that has been at work in the churches that produced in their affliction and poverty, produced a wealth of generosity. Listen, this is good news because sometimes we need God to work in us before we're even open to allowing him to work through us. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you have all sufficiency. Okay, God, all sufficiency in this one situation, but this is a new situation. In all things. Okay, in all things, but, but this is a different season. At all times. In every good work. And here's why this is so, so important. Um, one of the things you'll see if you, uh, and I talked about this at Tyson's last week, one of the things you'll see if you 
have ever personally experienced or, or known people who have uh, taken in uh, children into their homes who are in the foster care system, or maybe you've studied it before, one of the things you'll read about, especially in situations of abuse and, and, and extreme poverty, is something called food hoarding. What food hoarding is, is a lot of times kids who have grown up in an abusive environment or in an extreme poverty, they don't know when their next meal is going to come. And so what will happen is they will learn to become conditioned to just hoard and stockpile food. So they get adopted into a new family. And y'all, it doesn't matter. It could be a new family that live in Great Falls or Beverly Hills or whatever. It doesn't matter. It could be a refrigerator is stocked, and it's an extra refrigerator in the garage, and there's a deep freezer in the basement full of food. Dinner, breakfast every morning, hot breakfast, lunch packed for them every day, dinner every day, snacks all in between, cookies and milk at night. They got everything. And what will happen is when you bring kids in who have grown up in that situation, what parents will find is they'll be cleaning that kid's room. Or they'll come in, that room, in their room to tuck them in at night. And a lot of times they'll find under their bed or in the closet these little stockpiles of food. Because even though they're in a new family, even though they're in a new family, even though they have a new, a new father and a new mother and new provision, they, they have still been conditioned to just hoard and stockpile. Why? Because they're afraid they may not have what they need the next time. And so many of us live that way. That we're so used to living in this economy of scarcity in the world. It's a zero-sum game. I can't give to you because then I won't have enough. I can't fully be generous only to a certain point, only to look good for the gram. I can be generous in that way. But I can't really be generous enough to the point that it actually forces me to change my budget. I can't do that because I may not have enough for myself if I pour it out for God's purposes. My time, my energy, my money. You're in a new family. You have a heavenly father who loves to give good gifts to his children. You have a heavenly father who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he has no limitation in him. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask for or imagine according to the power that is at work in you. You have a heavenly father who loves, who delights in providing for you so that... You become a conduit of his grace for other people. You go back to Paul's analogy in 2 Corinthians 8, and he uses, and in 9, he uses the analogy of seed and farming and sowing. And the purpose of the analogy is to say, listen, no farmer considers sowing a loss of seed. No farmer is sitting like, oh, I got to keep all of this seed because I may not have enough seed. No. Sowing seed is not a loss. Sowing seed is an investment. And what we see in this passage that you study it is it's not just an investment for yourself. It is an investment uh, that will bring a harvest of blessing to other people and glory to God. 
And this is what the Apostle Paul learned. This is why he could say in 2 Corinthians 12, when he has that thorn in his flesh and he's faced with his inadequacy and his limitations and, and he doesn't really know what to do. And God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect. It is, it is more fully revealed in, in your weakness. I shared this story with our leaders a couple years ago um, about George Mueller who was a Christian missionary, he was an evangelist, legendary, started so many orphanages just through his faith and prayers. In fact, he just had a personal policy for himself that he would not ask for money. He did not do fundraising for his orphanages. His goal was to prove to the world that you can move the hearts of men and women through prayer. And so he would just bring his needs to God in prayer. And so I've read a bunch of stuff on George Mueller, uh, different volumes of his biographies, and I would encourage you to read them to strengthen your faith. But in his journals, he records miracle after miracle of, of God's provision and answered prayer. And he wrote this in, in, in his journal. So he's, he's with all of the kids that are in the orphanage, and he writes this in one of his journals. He said, one morning, all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty, There was no food in the larder. I didn't even look up what that word meant. I should have before I got here. Anybody know what larder means? What is that? Pantry? Good. All right. I was studying the text. I didn't study his journal. All right. Uh, There was no food in the pantry and no money to buy food. The children were standing waiting for their morning meal. When Mueller said, children, you know we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. He writes, there was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker no sooner had he left when there was a second knock at the door. It was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage, and he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. God is a provider. God is a provider. Like they used to say when I was growing up, He may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. He's always on time. And what I want you to see in that story is from two angles, not just from George Mueller, who was the one who needed the provision and trusted God. But what I also want you, I want you to see yourself in the people God used to provide. Because some of you are milkmen and women. Some of you are bakers and you have resources. You have time, you have talent, you have treasure. That God has given you because he sees other people in need or he sees a problem that needs to be solved. And God in his sovereignty and his wisdom and his providence, he will begin to connect those dots if you will open your life and your heart in prayer and say, God, how do you want to use me? God, take what I have. It may be a lot by world standards, or it may be a little by world standards, but God, would you just take what I have and take who I am, take who I know, 
And God, would you use it to bless other people and bring glory to yourself? Now, some of you would say, but Mike, what about the times where God doesn't provide? That's a nice story. I'm happy for him. But what about the times where God doesn't provide? And I wish I had more time to get into this. But this is the danger of prosperity theology. You see, there's two dangers. One is that we can, we can work so hard against prosperity theology that we don't even believe the Bible. That we become, get, become too timid and afraid to stand on the truth that God is a provider that God can make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency at all times in all things, that you can abound in every good work. We don't believe the Bible anymore, but the, but the other extreme, the other error is prosperity theology where we make a direct connection between your faith and obedience and you having material prosperity for yourself. And the damage I've seen that do over and over and over again to people who have been saturated in that theology, it doesn't prepare you for the reality of life. The Bible does, prosperity theology does not, because there will be times and seasons in your life. Like Mueller is telling you the end of the story after waiting in prayer and wondering where provision is going to come to do what God called him to do. There's going to be seasons and situations in your life where you don't experience God's provision in the way that you expect it and in the timing that you feel like you need. And so sometimes God doesn't provide in our timing or in the way that we think we need most. But this is why it's so important to round out your theology because the same one, the same Paul who writes 2 Corinthians wrote Philippians 4 verse 12 and he said, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What that means is I can do anything God calls me to do, and I can have contentment and joy in the midst of it. Why? Not because I have this or that circumstantially, but because Jesus is the one who strengthens me. We got a class coming up in the spring called Did God Say? That's going to study the most commonly known and commonly misused verses in the Bible. And this is one of them. Look out for that class. God will give you what you need. Whether it's him working through you and giving you the resources to work through you or working in you to even give you the motivation to do it. He has a problem he wants you to solve or some people that he wants you to serve. And that's true in your life outside of these walls. Like I was praying for y'all this week because there are things, there are ideas, there's dreams, there's jobs, there's kids, there's parents, there's all these things that God has put on your heart. 3.2 billion people around the world who have not yet heard the gospel. People in your neighborhoods who haven't heard the gospel. There's a physical and spiritual need right around you and far from you. And 
And I don't know what those things are that God's put on your heart, but you know those things. And so this applies to the things that God's put on your heart for, for outside of this church, but it also applies to us as a church family when it comes to this church family. And so I just want to share just some opportunities that you might want to consider, particularly those of you who are newer to our church or maybe you've been coming for a while and you haven't really gotten involved yet. Let me highlight a couple of of things. Here's some areas where we have the most need. Church group leaders. We need men and women who are willing to say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to be trained. I don't feel like I got it all together in my life, but I do feel like God has been good to me and I do have a desire to help other people follow Jesus. And so I'm willing to be trained to lead a church group in my home and to help facilitate conversation around the sermon and around scripture. And I don't have to be a Bible teacher. I'm willing to help coordinate care for people in, in, in our group and to be and support folks. And maybe you're like, well, I just live in an apartment. Okay, well, we can part you up with somebody who's like, well, I'm not ready to be a church group leader, but I'm willing to be a church group host because I do have enough space. We need more church group leaders because we always have people who desperately want community. They want to grow in the context of relationships. And so we need other people, other men and women to step up and say, hey, I'm willing to be trained. And I'm not totally sure, but I'm willing to at least give it a shot and be supporting that process. We need people to serve in Kids Quest. In Kids Quest, I mentioned this about a month or so ago. There was uh, a Sunday where we had to turn away. I mean, praise God, more and more people are showing up. I mean, I, I'm looking right now. I'm like, oh, God, what is 11 o'clock service going to be like, uh, right? Because it's full in here. More and more people are showing up. But what that means is it puts more stress on, on uh, our, our children's ministry, which is a great problem to have. But we have ratios to ensure safety, um, volunteer to kid ratio. So we had to turn away 20 families. Broke our hearts. We need more men and women and, and young men and women, even teenagers, to serve in Kids Quest. So thank you to those of you that joined our Kids Quest team after I, I shared that, you know, a, a few, uh, a month or so ago. But maybe others of you just consider serving just on some regular basis. Maybe it's one to two times a month or something like that. Just this fall. Consider just serving this fall to see if it's, if it's a good fit. And it may not be a good fit. And you may realize that or we may realize that. <laughs> Think about our parking and, and welcome teams. Our parking and, and welcome teams, like our folks, that they, it's the, the front line of people welcoming people in, not just to our church, but really being an expression of God's welcoming heart uh, to people. I, I was, uh, uh, my, my grandmother um, has been in a, in, a, in a nursing home, and it was, yeah, it was, it was a bad situation. It was a pretty traumatic event that, that happened at the nursing home. And so we had to move her out of that nursing home into a new uh, assisted living facility this, this past uh, week. And I, I posted this on my Instagram stories, but I want to show you this video of when she showed up uh, to her, her new uh, nursing home. Let's see if we got this video.
Most of those folks, there's some of our family in there. Most of those folks, it's nursing home staff. They don't know this lady. Like, that's my little st- story video. Like, I put music to it or whatever. The, the real video, what you can't hear is them clapping as she's walking in, being like, hey, girl. That's PG County's finest, right? Imagine, think about, think about my grandmother who moved from the deep Jim Crow South as a teenager to this area with my grandfather, built this whole life and this legacy through her family. She used to be one of the most independent women I know. Being in a nursing home now where she's, her care is in the hands. Now, we show up deep, like 20 deep, every, like every week. There's always people in there. We annoy everybody in the nursing home, which a lot of families don't do. Listen, we're going to be here. Her teeth need to be brushed. You know what I'm saying? Like, right? But imagine the anxiety she's feeling going into a new facility, leaving her friends, leaving her care providers, and going to this whole new place. Imagine what she felt in that moment. Literally red carpet service. When people are welcoming her and greeting her and putting her at ease that we are so glad you're here. That is the role of our parking and our welcome teams. So we have a few faithful volunteers at our welcome desk and at the doors. But um, imagine, imagine the people, and some of you are here right now, imagine the people that come to our church who maybe have not been to church in a while. They're not sure how God thinks about them. They definitely ain't sure how church people think about them. You know how many times I've heard people say that they pulled up to our church for the first time and they, act, they just sat in the parking lot and didn't even come in? It took them multiple weeks to muster up enough courage to even walk in? Imagine smiling faces, not just at the door or the welcome desk, but at the steps of the parking lot and on the sidewalk. Imagine signage from Twinbrook all the way down Park Lawn. And flags that help make sure nobody has to guess where to go. How in the world do I find this parking lot? Imagine that. Imagine enough parking attendants at strategic points, smiling and actually directing traffic, not just so that people can be safe, but to ease the anxiety that people already feel when they show up to a church our size. Let me just say to the men, we need men who are willing to show up every Sunday morning at 7 a.m. to help make sure everything outside is straight, to help get the sign set up, to be in place before people get here, to help direct traffic and protect people who are making their way all around here. We need men who are willing to do that, who are willing to hustle and get to work by 6.30 a.m. and stay at work till 7.30 p.m., who are willing to say, for the kingdom of God and the ministry of the church and people that need to meet God, I'm willing to be one of the first people here on Sunday morning, and I'm willing to stand outside in hot weather, in cold weather, when it's raining, to make sure that people who are new and confused actually receive the welcome of God when they show up to our church. There's lots of other opportunities in this beautifully designed ministry directory. (laughs) All of us have that family member 
who's at Thanksgiving and don't do nothing. That's nervous, self-reflective laughter. <laughs> and everybody is helping clean the dishes. Everybody brought a dish. And it's that person scrolling on their phone or watching the game. And it's not that they just didn't do anything this Thanksgiving. They never do anything. <laughs> Don't be that person in the family of God. Get involved. And so we're going to put a QR code up here on the screen for you, for you to get more information. And I want you to just, this is not for you to sign up for something, although you should. This is just for you to say, I'm not sure where to serve, if I want to serve, if I have the bandwidth to serve in this season of my life, but I'm at least willing to get some more information. That's going to take you to a Google form. Again, that Google form is not you signing up for a ministry because we don't even know if you should be serving in a ministry, Right? You should be serving in a ministry, but we're going to help you figure out which one. Um, but that's just for you to say, all right, I'd love to get more information maybe about this particular opportunity, and we'll follow a few. And some of you may have other questions. So Pastor Drew and Amy Joe are going to be at a table in the lobby. We'll, those QR codes will be out at that table in the lobby as well if you want to ask a little bit more questions or you just need a, a little bit of help uh, navigating that, uh, that form. So I want you to remember the source when God calls you to do something. Remember God's promise. He will provide And then here's the last thing before we close out. Remember the goal. And the goal is God's glory. Let me read this. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 12. Paul says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And here it is. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. And doesn't this make sense? Because if it starts with God as the source, and you are just the instrument, then the glory doesn't come back to you. It comes back to him. You become a billboard of God's grace. Like through you, people get to be reminded that there is a God who is powerful and who is a provider and has loved them enough to serve them in this way. And this is the heart of the gospel. This is what Jesus did. This is Paul says, 2 Corinthians 8. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. It is motivated ultimately by the gospel that Jesus saw us in our spiritual poverty, that we were bankrupt before God because of our sin and the debt that we owe and the judgment we deserve. And rather than leave us that way, out of the overflow of his generosity and love and mercy, Jesus came and emptied himself and died in our place for our sins. And he rose so that he can invite us not just to be saved, but to be sent to people around us and places around us and problems around us as a billboard of his grace. And we get to give God thanks for that. Amen.